0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, March 13th, 2022, from Ephesians 4. If you want to follow along, we'll be in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And before we get into what we're looking at, I have a question for everybody, and it's not a rhetorical question, it's a question that I want some participation in. So, if this sounds like you, or if, you, if, you've, if you've experienced it, don't be shy about it, okay? Don't leave me on an island. The question is this, have you ever wanted something really, really badly? Like you wanted it really bad, and then when you got it, it like didn't really pan out to be what you thought it was gonna be? Yeah. Anybody had this thing? Um, I remember like one time when I was, I think I was 12 years old when the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out with Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman and the great Alan Rickman. And um, and I loved that movie, even though Robin Hood oddly had an American accent. We don't know why, but maybe that's just how gifted he was. He could do so many things, including an American accent. And when that movie came out, the only thing I wanted in the world as a 12-year-old boy was I wanted a bow and arrow because I wanted to steal from the rich and give it to the poor <laughs> with a bow and arrow. Like, that was the only thing I wanted. So I worked really, really hard at saving up all the money that I could. I even, I even sold a bunch of my own stuff at a family like uh, yard sale and, and just like sacrificed some things that were very dear to me just to earn the money to get my bow and arrow, and I was so focused on it, I wanted it so bad. And then when I got it, I learned something very interesting, which is, in 1991 in Oak Ridge, you can't really steal from the rich and give to the poor with a bow and arrow. (laughs) So it just didn't work. Like, I just wasn't Robin Hood at all, and also not being a hunter, and also the arrows weren't really hunting. You couldn't really do anything with it, so I think I shot, like, the eight arrows that I had a few times. I lost six of them immediately. I got frustrated and shot one straight up into the air as hard as I could and then ran for my life. And I don't know if I ever picked it up again. It was just like, I really, really wanted this. And then it just didn't pan out. It was like all the promises that having a bow and arrow made to me turned out to be just dirty lies. It was just bad. It's like, it's like Canadian bacon, you know? That's not bacon. What are you doing? Why do you call it that? Just call it ham. It's fine. Ham on a pizza is fine. It's not bacon. Don't call it bacon. You're a liar. No, it's like fast food photography. When you look at a Baconator on a Wendy's commercial. That looks like an amazing sandwich. Like the bread looks amazing. It's all shiny and it looks just, but if you actually bit it, do you guys know about fast food photography? They actually apply like clear coat, like acrylic spray to like make it look shiny. You don't want to eat that. Like the mustard and the ketchup, it's paint. Like you do do not put this in your face. All of these things they're promising you are lies. And some of us have fallen for this stuff before, but not just fast food photography or Canadian bacon or maybe like me, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but like relationships. Anybody ever had a relationship that was full of all kinds of promise and then it really, really did not, did not pan out? Anybody ever have something you desired, some pleasure you thought was going to pay out, and then when you tapped into it, it just really, really turned out to be a liar, really left you hanging? Okay. We've been talking for a few weeks about um, getting dressed because there are a few places in Scripture, it's really cool, where Scripture says to get dressed in things that are not clothes, like attitudes and attributes, even a person. And I think the thing that's interesting to me about this is when you think about what it takes to change, like fundamental things about yourself and your personality and things you need to work on in you, I mean, that would take a long time. It takes a lot of effort and strategy and all that stuff. And I I think that's true. At the exact same time, sometimes the Bible says, why don't you just put it on? Like kindness, why don't you just put it on? Like you grab a shirt out of your closet and put it on instead of that other shirt. Instead of meanness, just put on kindness, just put it on. So we've been looking at some of these. I want to show you one in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And the place, I'm going to explain some of this uh, stuff in Ephesians a little bit more detail in a minute, but where we are in the book of Ephesians in chapter four, the apostle Paul who wrote this letter is saying to these people, and he says this kind of throughout the letter, this is what you used to be like. And then Jesus came into your life and changed everything. You used to be outsiders to a life with God. He said, everybody was like this at one time. He said, they were, we, were, we had like a futile thinking. feudal like, our thinking led nowhere. We were caught up in the futility of our thinking and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in us due to the hardening of our hearts. He said, we just had this thing where we continually wanted more and more of something that doesn't pay out and doesn't work. He said, this is, uh, he said, this is, by, by the way, um, I need to say, Judy Sharp this week found me and gave me this large print Bible. <laughs> So I don't have to put on reading glasses up here. Yeah. I, th- I, th- yeah. I think it was Mrs. Hunter's because every page is highlighted and we all know how much she loved the scriptures. Um, so this is, uh, this is the Apostle Paul in chapter 4, starting in verse 20. All that stuff, he said, so, you know, having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality with a continual lust for more, he says, but... That's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for these words. Help us to understand what you have for us and help me to keep it clear and simple. We love you and we pray that you would help us to receive it in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, so he says before you can get dressed and the thing that you need to get dressed in, you're actually going to have to take off something that you're probably already wearing. Before you can get dressed, you got to take off the other thing. I was thinking about this. This is like, you know, when you go to the beach. In the movies, when people go to the beach, they just frolic in the water with their jeans on and their t-shirt. And it's like, no, nobody does this. You take off the jeans and you put on the trunks. And then you can go into the ocean, which, I'm going to be honest, at age 42, y'all can keep the ocean. I'm done. (laughs) I'm done with that. And I'm finally old enough and secure enough to say, I don't like it. I just don't like it. I can't see what's going on under there. I don't like the stingy things. I don't like the bitey things. I don't know. I don't give me the pool. I can see the whole thing. It's not moving and nothing wants to sting me as far as I can tell. So y'all can keep the ocean. But regardless, you take off the jeans and the t-shirt and put on the swimming suit and then you go in. So there's something you have to take off before you can put on the thing that you're supposed to put on. And what he says is, take off your old self. And this is weird because you're like, wait a minute, when I came to know Jesus, didn't I become a new creation and everything? Didn't I already take off the old self? And it's like, yeah, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. However, the problem with us is, and I know it's, I have this propensity. And if anybody else in this room feels this way, you go ahead and let me know. Even though I'm a new creation, I'm pretty naturally magnetized to my old self. Anybody else on this? I like the mms. I appreciate that. That's helpful. Because it's one of those things of like, mmm, yeah. I don't want to be, but I am. I'm pretty naturally magnetized to my old self. And here's the thing he says specifically about your old self in this. He says, your old self is being corrupted by deceitful desires. That word corrupt, it's a word that means to spoil in the original language. It's actually the same word that Jesus used when he said, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. Like it's being destroyed your old self. It's like there's something about you before you came to know Jesus. You're like destroying yourself with specifically deceitful desires. Here's what that means. You want stuff that lies to you. It got real quiet. Y'all, does anybody want stuff that lies to you? I, I know I do. I know that naturally, my natural propensity is to to want something that always winds up being a liar. And this world is full of it. Full of it. And my magnetism is to put on that old self, which is constantly being spoiled by wanting stuff that winds up not paying out or being what it was supposed to be. It's the Canadian bacon of the things that's ruining my soul. It's a liar. Like this world says, if you want to be successful... Here's what you need. You need sweat and you need numbers. You need results and you need to go hard because your old self, the self, the you before you knew Jesus, you had to. It was just you on your own. You without God and everything you have, you have to get it and then you have to hold it and keep it. That's the world without Jesus. That was me before I knew him. And and I'm somehow magnetized towards that old self so that if I'm going to be successful, I've got to have the sweat to prove it and I've got to have the bottom line to prove it. The numbers, the next thing. And we have these desires that if I had this relationship or if I had this promotion or if I had this house or if we had this thing in this house, I don't know what it would be, but whatever it is, it's like this would prove that I made it because you on your own without God, you got to grind and you got to keep and you got to take and you got to hold. Amen. But all that stuff is lying to us. We're being corrupted, spoiled, destroyed by the desires, the lying desires of our old self. The lying desires of our old self told us that if you wanna be loved, then what you need is you need beauty and you need gifts. You gotta be attractive and you gotta be awesome. You gotta blow people away and you gotta be gorgeous. So you gotta be thin enough, you gotta be pretty enough, you gotta be amazing enough or strong enough or whatever the thing is and you gotta be so good at that thing that you do that you stand out and then you're lovable but it doesn't pay out. It's a liar. And we have a magnetism toward that thing that if I'm going to be successful, then I got to have the sweat and the numbers to prove it, and I got to have the beauty and I got to have the gifts to earn it. The old deceitful self says, if you are going to be successful, you got to earn it. And if you are going to be lovable, then you got to look like it. And you got to be beautiful enough and amazing enough. And if you are going to be important, you need trophies. And all of that stuff, all of the grabbing and the taking and the keeping and the holding and the winning, all of that stuff, what it does is it makes everybody in your life a threat to you, doesn't it? And it makes everything that you do a competition, which means that it makes you have the potential to be proud of what you have and what you did and what you built and what you earned and what you made and what you kept, which makes everything a threat. It makes us competitive. It makes us jealous. It makes us proud. It makes us, it's what makes us nationalists. It's what makes us exclude other people. It's what makes us hate people. It's what makes us compete. And he says, if you are going to be the people that you're supposed to be, you're going to have to take that off first. You have to reject some things. And I think to reject it, I think to take it off, you actually have to look at some of the things that you want that are lying to you. And you have to say to them, I don't believe you. I don't believe in you anymore. Okay, I want to pause for a second and talk about Ephesians and where I think this whole thing is coming from. Paul started this church in the city of Ephesus, and he ministered there for a long time, and he built it up, and then he left, and then at a certain point, he was, uh, he was under arrest in the city of Rome, and he wrote this letter back to these folks, and he told them some amazing stuff. Like I said, throughout the whole letter, he tells them, this is who you were, and this is what happened to you, and now this is who you are because of what Jesus has done. And what he's saying to them in, its, in like the heartbeat of it is this. God has an amazing and beautiful plan. It is brilliant and it is incredible. And his plan is to rescue the world through giving away grace, like just the gift of grace. Because of what Jesus has done, he's going to rescue the whole world by giving away a gift for free. And he wants to show off the brilliance of that plan through y'all. That's what he's saying. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, his intent was that now through the, like, through the church, the wisdom of God would be made manifest to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms so that you can show people how brilliant this plan is because of what Jesus has done. This is what he's saying. He wants to show off the beautiful brilliance of his plan of grace, and he wants to show the world through the church he wants y'all to show it off. It's funny because in ministry, sometimes we say this thing. And I was thinking about this this week. It's one of those cliches that people say a lot. And I guess in some ways it's true, but I don't know that God would agree with it. And that is, um, have you guys ever heard this before that like, you know, God could save the whole world a whole lot better without us. Like it would be more efficient and it would be amazing. And he could do the whole thing by himself. And it's like, Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't think he's interested in that at all. Because what he wants to do is he wants to use you and us and our church. He's building something. He's making a building. And the idea is he's making a building using building materials that are highly unlikely. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, you were all dead, like completely dead. You couldn't do anything like like a dead person. You can't do anything with a lifeless dead person. He talks about the fact that different people from different places later in chapter two are opposed to each other because of their ethnicity, because they just naturally don't like each other. He says, and he is taking dead hostile bricks and through the magic mortar of his love and grace, he is building a beautiful building of fellowship and love. Isn't that amazing? That's where an amen belongs, by the way. That's an incredible thing. He said, this is the mystery. God is taking dead, hostile bricks that naturally are opposed to each other and hate each other. And through the miracle of his amazing grace, through what Jesus has done for us, he's building us together into a kingdom and into a fellowship and into a family. That's what I love about our elder team. It's just a beautiful group of brothers who love and support and take care of each other and are working together. It's a microcosm of what Christ's community is doing, a microcosm of what the whole church all over the world is supposed to be doing. And the problem, the biggest problem that we as believers in Jesus have right now is that the church is doing a really terrible job of representing the beauty of this plan. People aren't that interested in it. They look at it and it's like, Well, why are Christians yelling at everybody? Why are Christians threatened by folks? Why are Christians nationalists? Why would the believers in Jesus care more about certain things of the here and now more than they care about the outsider, the poor? It's unbelievable. He said, you've got to reject that stuff and put on the new self, which is created to be like God in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. We're going to have to reject lies and put on the truth, which is the new self is created to be like God. I love this. There's a place in Romans chapter 8 that says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, because all those who are being conformed to the image of his son, like, and everything that God is doing in the world, he's making you more like Jesus, right? And when you look at Jesus, he was poor. He actually said he was, he said, you know, the birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the son of man has what? No place to lay his head. Jesus was poor. Jesus loved everybody. He accepted the people that everybody else rejected. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and he was the one who brought in everybody and welcomed everybody, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. But we can't do that if we're competitive, and if we're proud, and if everybody else is a threat. And that's why we have to reject the desires that are lying to us. That what you need is work and sweat, and numbers and the bottom line. That what you need is beauty and gifts. That what you need is trophies. You know, it says about Jesus that he was not attractive. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says he had no beauty or majesty that we would be attracted to him. He just had totally different values. (coughs) There's something that we're supposed to take off so that we can put on something that makes us look a whole lot more like Jesus. So that no one is a threat to us. So that we're not fighting anybody. So that we're not proud of anything. But that we are just enjoying the fact that we get to be a part of this family so that dead, hostile bricks have been brought to life and are being glued together through the mortar of the grace of Jesus and we are just loving each other and building a beautiful family and a kingdom, amen? Amen. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? And wouldn't people want to be a part of that? I was thinking about these clothes, just the clothes we're supposed to take off and the clothes we're supposed to put on. I was thinking about the clothes that I'm so naturally attracted to. The desires that are deceitful, the desires that lie to us. I think it's like the sweat stained coveralls of a hard worker where I can prove to you that I've been earning my peace, that I've been doing enough to be acceptable, to be successful, to be important. And I would think that's the thing you're supposed to take off. Because he has done everything for you. He has brought you in. He has loved you. He has forgiven you. He has died to pay your penalty. He's brought you into a kingdom and a family and a fellowship completely without you having to do anything. So you can take off the sweat-stained coveralls of the hard worker. And you know what you get to put on? Wedding clothes. Because that's what this is. It's a wedding reception where everybody's invited. I've got a buddy who... um, He's my favorite person to be at a wedding reception with because, and I'm not going to say his name, but if he listens to this later, he'll know exactly who it is because every single time he's at a wedding reception, he dances so hard that he literally busts his pants wide open. (laughs) Not kidding. He has more fun than everybody else at the wedding and he's like a better dancer than anybody else. And whenever he walks back into Jose bank after like the weekend after a wedding, he walks in holding pants and they're like, Oh, it's you again. And he's like, it is. And they're like, all right, we know what to do. Hand them over. And they just keep putting these pants back together because he knows that a wedding reception is for dancing. You know, when Jesus was walking around doing his ministry, they accused him of being a drunkard because he had so much fun at parties, because he danced and he feasted. And that's what he wants the kingdom of heaven to be. And he wants everybody to be invited. And he wants everybody to be invited, even if you don't have a good bottom line. And even if you haven't made up all the things that the world thinks make you successful, even if you don't have any trophies. Which means that the kingdom of God is for people of every country. Amen. Every ethnicity, every language, people who are differently abled, people who can't prove anything to you, people who you can't even talk to. He wants everybody in. And the way that he wants it to be attractive is by bringing us to life and then changing us from the inside. And so we don't have to protect ourselves or prove anything. And we are the most happy, thankful, joyful people. And the people would look at us and say, that looks like something I would want to be a part of. Because they love everybody. And they bring everybody in. And they're not protecting anything. And they're not threatened by anybody. They're just grateful to be at a wedding reception. Celebrating. Celebrating. This is the life that we're being invited into. The thing is, is that to go into that, we are going to have to. And the problem is, I think we're going to have to do it intentionally and often. You're going to have to reject some lies. That the thing that makes you important is how hard you work or how much you made. That the thing that makes you lovable is how beautiful you are or how gifted you are. That the thing that makes you important is how much you've won. Not that any of those things are bad but they don't make you important and they don't make you lovable and they don't make you successful. Jesus has done everything for us. Amen. So we don't have to protect or prove or earn anything. And we get to love everybody as a result. Nobody's a threat to us. Nobody is in competition with us. Everyone is welcome. He's building a kingdom and a family, and he wants to use us to invite everybody into it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to be together and to remember again how much you love us, how much you've done for us, that you've died to pay for us, that you've given us everything for free so we don't have to prove or protect or hold or compete anything. We just get to enjoy it. We get to enjoy what you've given us for free and offer it to everybody else. I love that you are using us to show the world how brilliant and beautiful your plan of grace is and invite everybody into it. Give us a week where we are full, full of you and inviting everyone into in I was
1: lost, I was aimless, I was broken, I was hopeless. I was hurt And now Life showed it, I needed hope and didn't know it But now I live, now I'm set free, now I can be a new me